Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 242. We're recording on Friday, January 5th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Jen Northington. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. Do you even know where Rebecca is? I realize she's on vacation. She's in I, don't, I don't even know. She's in Mexico? I'm so I didn't know that. <laughs> we were just talking about how cold you are. So that's, so that's particularly galling. To- <laughs> and she's like on a beach, probably having mm. like a Mai Tai or something. <laughs> Can we pretend there are bugs or something? Like a, oh, like a yeah, lizard? Yeah. Or it's yeah. raining. It's raining in yeah, Mexico. Oh, <laughs> that seems too harsh. Maybe just that's like true. one gecko like in the bathtub in the morning. It's, that, that's enough. It won't ruin the vacation. <laughs> it's their 10 year anniversary trip. So I do want nothing oh. but like sun and delicious food for them. So. Mm hmm. Um, I will ride the coattails of your good feelings about being in Mexico for them. Right? Yeah, now. there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're you're much colder. I mean, uh, Jen's in Philadelphia, where it's uh, a bomb cyclone, which yes. I feel like is an irresponsible weather naming agree, thing. Like, just come on. What's next? TNT tornado? Like, that's unacceptable. <laughs> we don't need any of that. Um, Happy New Year, everyone. Jen's going to talk. We thought it might be a slow news week, and um, Rebecca and I talked. Like, yeah, Jen will come on. Maybe we'll talk about some anticipated books in 2018 because there won't be much news going on. You know, and like all, and every time I say that, it's like, it's like take an umbrella outside. Uh, we get a huge, a deluge of book related news. I mean, really, there's just one big story this week uh, Michael Wolf's Fire and Fury and the fire and fury around that. So we'll get to that in a minute. I want to take a, a second before we get into that because we're going to spend a few minutes on that. Um, so we'll get our first sponsor, Taken Care of Alcrate. We've talked about them a few times before. Alcrate is a monthly subscription service that delivers bookish funds straight to your door. Each box will contain one brand new young adult hardcover novel, as well as a whole bunch of bookish keepsakes to help set the mood for your you know, little literary adventure. Every box is built with a super fun and creative theme in mind and also includes special goodies right from the author. Can't get anywhere else. Alcrate also has a brand new box for younger bookworms. It's called Alcrate Junior, and it's aimed at readers aged 8 through 12 or anyone who's young at heart or like... Eight through twelve at heart. That might be too specific. <laughs> do you know your Do you know your specific heart age? I feel like there's a quiz we should take yeah. online, right, Jen? Like, what is your heart age? I actually um, do know mine. It's eleven. I'm. Yours I think is I'll 11? Be eleven forever. You do like robots and dinosaurs. I do. But come on, I, do. I feel like that's more like thirteen. Mm. I mean, maybe twelve. I don't know. Yeah, twelve. I think they got you wrong. Is, is the max heart age? I yeah, think. <laughs> yeah, right. Thirteen. You get into that crooked number situation, right. and it all goes to to heck. So that's Al Crate. Uh, let's see. Lots of the items, including the box, are handmade from small businesses like Etsy sellers, and most of them are exclusive, and you can't find them anywhere else. Sometimes they have exclusive cover designs, and um, at least one of the three to five goodies, including each Outcrate Junior box, is a usable activity. So you have your book, you have an activity, something you can do, use your imagination, and use your hands a little bit. Um, so books, reading, imagination, creativity, I don't know what else to say. Um Alcrate's a great service. Um, we're really glad to have them as a sponsor. Go check out Alcrate. Uh, thanks to them for sponsoring the show. 
All right. Well, somehow we're going to talk about a big Trump-related book story and try not to... T- I, I think our goal is to like try to talk about Trump as little as possible. And I've already said the name too many times. <laughs> um, and talk about what's going on here. I mean, this book, Fire and Fury, which is out today. Yeah, today. Which is part of the story. Um, and the reasons for that we'll get into here. I, I guess... Uh, you've been a bookseller a long time. You worked in the front as a frontline bookseller a long time. So you probably have a better, at least recent memory. I'm sure you have a better recent memory of like book publishing, mainstream crossover kind of news events. And I was trying to think of one that blew up as fast as this. And I can't think of one. Do you have any antecedents that come to mind, Jen, from like all of a sudden someone's talking about this book and it's coming out and everyone's buying it and everyone's talking about it? Like, it was, does anything even come to mind for you? The only thing I can think is that they moved up Colson Whitehead's book, Underground Railroad, because of mm-hmm. the Oprah pick, right? Like that right. book got an earlier release date. But that was like a happy moment <laughs> yeah, right, as yeah. opposed to this like Sturm and Drang situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the last big book I can remember that got pushed up because of media attention, specifically yeah. Oprah's attention, which is legit, right. legit. Um, but and done in coordination with Oprah, right? Where this is, this has a fly by the seat right. of its pants feel, which is like, uh, okay, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> How about tomorrow? I mean, I do have a very clear memory of the snafu with David Foster Wallace's last novel, mm. the posthumously published one. The Pale King? Yes, because that one, we literally had to like sign a piece of paper at the bookstore Mm. that said we would not put it on sale before the on-sale date. We had planned a midnight release party. Like we had all of this stuff. And then somebody at Amazon hit a button and it went out early. And like there went everything. Like we had to move the party. Like it was like a whole, (sighs) it was the worst. People were mad. Uh, Like it was just like a whole situation. Um, And so, but that was like a flub. That was a mistake. Somebody, you know, somebody hit the wrong button somewhere. Somebody decided to do a thing without publisher knowledge, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Um, So that book came out early. But again, not not the same as this. This is the only thing. I I don't know that I've ever seen anything exactly like this happen in my book selling time. So those of you who I guess have been, if you're listening to this show, I'm guessing you've, you've at least got the top line, but let's do the top line real quick. So Michael Wolf, Spent a few months, um, I'm looking at seeing an article that used the word embedded. That has a particular connotation to me, which doesn't quite capture my understanding of what he did. He he, Embedded in the White House is like, I get those images of like being embedded with Iraq soldiers and like riding along on the tank or whatever. I mean, he definitely went to the White House a bunch. He spent a lot of time interviewing um, people in and out and around the White House and the president. Um, So I, I don't I, I guess I care about being specific about embedded suddenly, but at the very least, he had a lot of access, um, talked to a lot of people, and kind of, And there's a look. I, I think if you've been following politics at all, none of this, the specifics of this, what's in this book, I think will be eye opening. But the general gist of it, which is that the whole thing is a mess and the president has some trouble with a lot of different things, is not going to be surprising. Um, it really got rolling when this quote from Steve Bannon came out um, about how he thought that probably treasonous discussions with the Russians were happening in Trump Tower. And that happened, let's see, a couple days ago. Mm -hmm. And that got interest spiking. And then it really went on from there as other um, pieces got leaked out. Apparently, The Guardian got an early copy from a New England bookseller before the street date. um, So speaking of things leaking out a little bit earlier... 
Um, and then once there was a couple of actual copies in people's hands, especially in the, the news media, then the, the pieces have been coming fast and furious. And then what happened next, I guess, is then then the, the Trump administration got a hold of it or heard what was going on. There's back and forth between Bannon and Trump. And then I think the inciting incident, especially for the role, moving up of the release date, was the White House sent a cease and desist letter to Henry Holt, which is the book's publisher, um, and that really got things moving. And then Holt decided to go ahead and move up um, the street date from, I think it was just going to be Tuesday, so it's not like it's a couple weeks, but to a Friday. Um, people, bookstores are selling out. I don't I don't know that the, 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 the cold and winter on the East Coast, too, I think is also part of this. Like, it's hard to get books. Like, I saw, um, I don't know if it was The Fountain or Hello Books, one of them said that they had trouble just getting the book in stock because of weather-related things. So it's like there's a bit of a scarcity rush going on now, too, which mm-hmm. is interesting. It, it jumped up from number 48449 on Amazon to number one uh, yesterday afternoon. I, again, I can't remember any kind of meteoric rise from really knowing nothing about a book, and then all of a sudden everyone's talking about it and multiple stories on the homepage of CNN about it, too. I, I mean... I, this is one of those things, like, none of this stuff is normal, but a, a White House sending a cease and desist letter to a yeah. book to prevent it from being published is a crazy thing to happen. Like, um, And I use that kind of intentionally where I feel crazy a little bit. Like, I feel like I my understanding of how things work are divorced from, you know, my existing understanding of how <laughs> the world works. Um so that's what's going on. I don't remember anything like this ever politically of a White House sending a cease and desist letter, getting involved in trying to prevent the publication of a book. I'm sure, you know, maybe Andrew Jackson, he'd be the person, right, that got involved somehow. But, you know, this is an unusual situation. The book itself is unusual. Um, Michael Wolff is an unusual figure uh, also. Um, he's, I, I think he's an unreliable narrator in a lot of ways, um, he's not someone where if you had your pick of journalists to write this book and get this kind of access, I don't know if I'd pick him necessarily, but he got the access. And the story of how he got the access, which is now legend, is you know Trump saw the cover image of his story on Trump and the New Republican liked it. He's like, okay, let him in. And I don't know what to say about the whole mess. I, my question, I guess, to you is, is this a flash in the pan? Like, are we going to be talking about this book in two weeks? Is it going to sell, like, what happened, like, numbers over the course of the year? You know, 400,000 copies? Or is once the juicy details come out, it's kind of over? Like, what's your sense of what's the, the future history of this book is going to be? Yeah, I mean, my sense of what made what happened by Hillary Clinton so long, like, so successful over a longer period of time is that the actual book itself is engaging, right? Mm, like mm-hmm. everybody who has recommended it to me, oh, I haven't read it yet because I'm still not ready. Not um, not but, ready I, but, <laughs> but everybody who's recommended it to me is like, oh yeah, like the things that you want to know are in there, but then there's more on top of that. Like it's mm-hmm. a really engaging book um, according to these folks and, and, and it's not your typical political memoir. Now this book I I don't know. I mean, I feel like once the juiciest stuff is out there, mm-hmm. is he a good enough journalist to make it a like a classic of journalism? Right. It, is it all the president's I, men or something? Yeah. Like that? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Is it is it that? And I mean, I don't know that it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I also haven't read it, and I'm probably not sure. gonna. Like, let's be real. I'm gonna wait for the tidbits because I ration my 
presidential news. Like I have a very, <laughs> I have a very specific quota for any given day or week. And once I've hit it, like I'm out. So I will wait to hear, you know, I'll read the excerpts that are already probably on the internet. Um, and I will listen to, you know, reviews and critiques from other people who have read it. And, and then I will move on with my life. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many other people feel that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, because the thing that you're right, it's a good point. Your ration, rationing of presidential news is, uh, I, I guess, a symptom of a wider phenomenon with this particular administration of how fast the news cycles go. Yeah, right. Um, like, is there enough here to, to stick around for a while? I don't even know. Like, nothing really has stuck um, to the president, as far as I can tell, save for a general malaise and, you know, there's the Mueller investigation, everything going on. But, you know, as a specific narrative sticking for a long time, even, you know, bomb like the, the, I don't even it was the, the Billy Bush tape thing. Like, you would think that'd be around forever and people still know, but it just didn't stick in a way that, you know, say emails, for example. Say there was an email-related right. scandal, right. Um, just hypothetically, how something like, like that would stick. So it's hard to know, like, once the actual content of the book comes out, um... Is it a compelling read on its own? Does it become part of a larger narrative? Like, right. you know, some people are saying there is stuff here that could be actionable. Um, you know, the the Trump White House has threatened to sue Holt for defamation, which is never going to happen for a variety of reasons. But one of which is to prove defamation, you have to prove untruth, right? Right. <laughs> in which right. leads to discovery. Right. Which my sense of what this White House is interested in is not having to turn over a whole bunch of documents proving how the how the president isn't, you know a monster or a harasser or predatory or a liar or whatever well, else that might happen in a defamation suit. Yeah, and that speaks to my thought about, you know, your stickiness point, which mm-hmm. is that it's not that any one given thing doesn't have the power to stick. It's just that there's too much. Yeah. Like you're like you're throwing darts at a dartboard that's already covered in darts. They're not going <laughs> to stick. Like yeah, there's no room. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. No. It's like it's there's just no room left to stick. So it's it's sort of the overabundance of material that's mm-hmm. keeping any one thing from becoming, you know, the emails because that was it. There was the one thing, right? Yeah. That was the one one thing. Um, and that's not true. There were other things, but that was the one big thing, but he's got so many. So there's many. just, there's no, it's it, like, there's not enough bandwidth for any one thing because there's just too many other things. I keep feeling that, you know, that that's, a, that's the, exactly the right um, point to hit on here is I, I keep feeling like there's some sort of psychological effect that needs a name for this kind of thing. Like, you know, thinking fast and flow should, <laughs> fast and slow <laughs> should have something about where like, what was it where there's just too many there's too many targets somehow and so you can't hit any of them i don't know how right. what or that is necessarily for me it's yeah. it's just burnout right yeah, yeah but, it's burnout but but people have so much passion you think if yes. it could coalesce around something something right. would you know would happen and you know people keep wondering too and by people i mean me um you know which one of these seeming bombshell flaming exploding rockets is going to finally do something different to the narrative here, you know, but it's like, I guess it's more like, you know, the, the, the men of the lake trying to hit smog. It's like, it's just all bouncing off and we just haven't, is there a chink in the armor or is it, there isn't. And it's the nature of this particular beast to be resistance to all conventional, um, you know, stories and, uh, news cycles and, you know, transgression. Um, a couple other things I thought were interesting. A wolf apparently wore a wire, um, for a lot of these interviews, and I, if I'm, I'd be curious to hear who his, what his editor at Holt was telling him, advising him, requiring him to do 
throughout the reporting and writing of this book, knowing that um, we have a very litigious person in the White House. I mean, the guy's probably read more subpoenas than novels um, in his life. In fact, I'd bet most of my personal wealth on that to be true. <laughs> um, and I, I would guess Holt is very buttoned up on this. And it sounds like Wolf himself is very buttoned up. And I, I doubt there'd be much substantive in a defamation suit, even if they were to go forward with it. But, and I don't know the law well enough. As you know, Jen, I'm a lawyer in my spare time. Indeed, indeed. Um, but I don't know enough about, I know just enough to get me in trouble about like recording conversations and what's legal. And like some states are one party consent and some states are two party consent. But that only might be for what's admissible in court. Like if you just want to, can I just tape a conversation with someone and keep it in case they sue me? Is that legal? Like, I don't know. But anyway, clearly they've done a lot. They've laid a lot of groundwork to be resistant to at least the first barrage of sort of legalistic saber rattling. And and Holt doesn't appear to be rattled at this point from what I can see. Certainly moving up the publication date of a book doesn't mean you're scared of being sued um, in a real way. What I think they were worried about is an injunction where they couldn't, uh, a court might say, well, we're not going to keep you from publishing the book necessarily, but we're going to um, issue a stay in which you have to hold the book until the lawsuit has been settled, Mm -hmm. if it ever came to that. So by getting the book out now, um, the horse is out of the barn. So anyway, there's that. Um, I'm trying to think also here. I didn't know this. There's some details in this CNN thing I'd never heard before, just the real insider baseball stuff about book buying and doing reporting on books that haven't come out yet. Some journalists are known to check airport bookstores because airports have been a useful source of advanced copies in the past. So I don't know if they're not as buttoned up. I mean, do, does Hudson News and LaGuardia have to sign that same thing you did at they Word? Do. I don't know. They yeah. do. But the the thing that happened, okay, so so you sign the piece of paper, right? You say, I will not put this book out mm-hmm. before whatever. Like your buyer signs it. Somebody who's in charge signs it um, when you place your order. And then you put it out, right? So what happens? Well, it only matters if somebody's going to report you to the publisher mm-hmm. who can then decide to, let's say, put your account on hold mm-hmm. or, you know, like whatever. They can do a thing if they want. Now, you, it, the bigger you are, the less this matters to you, right? Like Amazon can hit a button and go, oops, mm. we published it too. <laughs> we like shipped it two days early because mm-hmm. the publishers are never going to be like, okay, we're taking away your ordering rights. Like, they're too big Mm. and too important, so nothing bad is going to happen to them. Um, And I imagine airport stores, A, who's going to report it? Like, who's going to report that? Right. And then B, like, also, you know, airport stores do a lot of business. So, you know, Mm. do you want to, like, penalize one of your best moving accounts? Like, probably not. So, yeah, and I will not say what bookstore it was. Yes, don't, don't. But I I worked at six bookstores. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of <laughs> potential options, but we had an arrangement with one journalist in particular who had been in a friend of the store for a long ah. time. And if we got the book early enough, we would allow her to take it and put it on her account and then not actually ring it through until the pub day because that's Jen another way you get caught. That's very that's, tricky. That's another way you get caught is if you show up as having sold the book on a day that was before the embargo was, was released. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I I'm not saying where it was, but that's a real thing that we did mm. for one person. Just I one. also wonder too. Um, you know, if you're at, if you're working at the Hudson Booksellers in um, uh, Dulles, say, mm-hmm. and a journalist comes up and says, "Do you have any copies of this?" They're like, no, it's not on sale Tuesday. Oh, do you have any in the back? Well, yeah, but we can't put them out. And they slip you a hundred bucks, right? Like, you know, is the, 
again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying there are ways around it. Yeah, like of if course. you were trying to get it that way. So that I just hadn't heard about airport bookstores being a um, you know, a, a leak in the dam, so to speak, because yeah. a particular a, a known leak of the dam to the point where it makes it into sort of a you know, basically a news wrap item on CNN of all places. Right. Um, I love that kind of, I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> like I love uh, in a different life I'm a journalist. Um, mm. and this kind of like tips and tricks for journalists, especially when it overlaps with the book world, you know, that's catnip, um, for me, especially, um, let's see anything else to say about this primary colors. Sorry, I'm going back to like in p- political scenes. That was a big deal. Cause it was by anonymous. Right. Mm. And it was, mm-hmm. it was about the, the first Clinton um, presidential campaign. And that was a big deal. I was, you know, 14 when that came out, so I wasn't following politics and or books and publishing like I do now. But that even penetrated my um, my uh, early teen shield of Final Fantasy and college basketball interest <laughs> to, like, know that was a thing. So that suggests to me that's a, that was a pretty big asteroid mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the solar system of publishing at the time. Um, there really wasn't an equivalent tell-all book about the Clintons as far as I can tell. Like, no, Like, also... I don't, this is, we'll get maybe one thing on this. Like, how dumb do you have to be to let this journalist do this? Like, what did you think was going to happen? Like, I don't get it. Like, I, I really don't. Well, I mean, I, that's I don't just understand. The, the depths of, like, everything's fine here. What would they have to report I guess on? so, right. Right? I like, that's so. the, like, oh, there's nothing, there's nothing to protect. <laughs> I mean, what's weird is because, like, the same day some of this started breaking, there was the news that, um, White House staffers couldn't use their own phones. So they were already worried about people leaking stuff. And you're going to let a guy do 200 interviews? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And maybe that not making sense part is the story in, a, in some way of like, they just are a chaos machine. Like, there's mm-hmm. no, it's just a, it's just a trash devil um, spinning around in there. And this is the kind of things that happen when you kind of don't know what you're doing and you think you do and stuff like this happens. Um, Anyway, yeah, so this will be, boy, it'd be hard to knock it off as the book story of the year. Um, yeah. I, I, early in the year, but uh, there's there's no reason it, it's unlikely to happen January 3rd versus October 9th or whatever. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything. There's, I had something else I was going to say about this. Yeah, if you read the book, um, I don't think... It doesn't sound like any of our BR staff are going to read it. Some of the contributors are doing it on audio and other places. But we'd like to hear from Book Riot podcast listeners. If you read it, let us know. I guess I don't really want to know, like, scooplet things. Like, But is it a good read? Is it mm-hmm. an interesting read is what I'd like to know. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just recently read um, All the President's Men, speaking of. Uh, I lo- always love the movie. I, I watch it all the time. Um, have it on. And I'd never read the book, and I did. And it's a remarkable document, um, what they did to, to report on that. Uh, and I'd, I'd be curious to hear. Like, this is like, this book is like if Deep Throat was actually 26 people, and they all talked on the record in the White House, and everyone knew that uh, Bob Woodward was there. Like, that's, I'm trying to think of, like, <laughs> what, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's, 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 so, it's so baffling. Uh, anyway, okay, should we go to happy news? Yeah, let's, let's, do, go let's to do a happy news. news. You want to take the happy news? Take yeah. some, give me some happy news. Let's do some happy. Let's talk about Jackie Woodson mm-hmm. being the new uh, ambassador for young people's literature because that makes me happy. Um, 
So the the sort of overarching thing that you need to know is that there is, in fact, a national ambassador <laughs> for young people's literature, in case you didn't know. Um, the very first one was John Sheska. And then uh, the most recent one is Jean Luen Yang, who I am a big fan of as well. And um, Jacqueline Woodson has been named uh, the new one for 2018 to 2019. It is a two-year stint. And there is a whole ceremony for this that takes place at the Library of Congress, which of course this year will be presided over by uh, librarian Carla Hayden, who we nice. love. Um, and so, yeah, so her job basically is to go around and encourage young people to read and like to talk to, you know, children, educators, librarians, booksellers, anything that you can do to foster literacy for children and teens, like, is part of the gig. Um, so it'll be probably a lot of touring, a lot more events. And I did love this interview in PW because she mm -hmm. talks about how she had actually called um, Jean Yang to suggest somebody else. And they were like, no, we, we got it covered. Like, we already got a name. And she thought they were blowing her off. <laughs> um, and then on top of it, she's like, you know, I'm a real introvert and like I can give a speech, but this is going to be a challenge for me personally to do this much mm. more sort of socializing around around, you know, books. So so that was interesting. The other tidbit I loved from this piece is that her very first reading was at the Enoch Pratt Library when Last Summer of Maison came out. And mm. that is Carla Hayden's former library. Hmm. So it like it, the, there's just all of these lovely ties into this appointment that make me very happy. Um, and I guess I feel like Woodson was it with Brown Girl dreaming that her profile went up a notch? Was that is or was it around another Brooklyn time where they came out kind of close? No, I, I think Brown Girl dreaming was was yeah. was pro at least in terms of kid literature, yeah, right? right because right, right, you know right. she won the National Book Award, right? That was mm -hmm. the year that there was the unfortunate watermelon joke incident. Oh God! Um, yes. Yeah, and right. so yeah, so you know that was kind of. I mean, she's been writing for you know yeah. a long time. Well, that's what I was saying. Is like she's been writing for a while, but it does feel mm -hmm. like over the last few years she's. Leveled up, you know, yes, she uh, yeah. uh, leveled up a little bit. And certainly this is a reflection of that. Well-deserved, mm -hmm. a great choice, wonderful choice. For sure. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. That's, there was one other thing. Was, oh, her um, motto for the year that she's sort of using as a lodestar is reading equals hope times change, which I yes. thought was nice as yeah. well. Um, usefully vague and also inspiring at the same time. Um, yeah, well, and that reminds me, she also was talking about how frustrated she is with this conversation around, like, reluctant readers versus advanced readers, because mm -hmm. it's true. These are, especially on Get Booked, where we take questions, you know, from people right. about what books to read, we always get either, when it's kids' books, we get either, my kid is a reluctant reader, what can I give them to get them reading? Or, my kid is reading above grade level, what is appropriate mm. content-wise? But we never get, like, my kid just likes books, what should I give them like that's my never... child is super average what do you have in right, mind exactly like that's <laughs> never it's either my child won't read or my child reads like five grade levels ahead um mm -hmm. which are both real things it's not that those things aren't real it's just that that's the only conversation in a lot of places that happens around kids books and she says you know i just want i just want kids to read like can we can we knock that conversation out and just find books for kids whichever mm -hmm. whatever kid it is and whatever they're interested in so yeah, that's uh, you've mentioned that before, and I've heard you and Amanda talk about that before. And there's some 
there's stuff to unpack around the idea of a reluctant reader. And mm -hmm. so when you're, I guess it's more about when you're asking for a recommendation for a reluctant reader, you're sort of saying, give me a book that is not like most books, right? Because if it were like most books, then they wouldn't be reluctant if most well, books were like this book somehow. In my head, it translates to my kid hates the school assigned reading. Ah. What else can I use to hook them? That's okay. what I hear when I hear that question. Now, that might not be right, but like mm. all kids are reading for school, right? You right. get assigned books in school. And if they're a reluctant reader, that means they're not enjoying that process. So like what can what can we give them that is not going to be not going to feel anything like reading homework? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. And there's lots. There's so much. So, um, Another news bit, Lindy West, uh, who wrote The Excellent, and that book has stuck around, Shrill. People talk about that and reference it a lot. Um, she came out this week that she's releasing two new books, one in 2018 and one at a later date. The first one coming out um, from the press release says, it will lay out Lindy's grand theory of America's seemingly desperate or even insignificant threads from throughout the past few hundred years gathered into one sprawling, funny, illuminating Tapestry. Can tapestries sprawl? Anyway, I'm not going to get up in press release yeah. metaphors. Um, so that should be interesting. And then also a second book, um, also by, from Hachette, will be a collection of film criticism. Uh, West was, um, and I don't know if she still is, but uh, a film critic, first and foremost. And I think her experience as a film critic online led to a lot of what came out of Shrill. Or went to, a lot of that went into what... Um, would become shrill. So for you Lindy West fans out there, of which I am one, um, I'll be interested to see. I'm, I'm wondering if the second book will kind of be along the lines in terms of how um, they put together Bad Feminist, which was a collection of new and uh, existing pieces of criticism from Roxanne Gay. You could see a very a similar kind of book um, from Lindy West on film. And Roxanne's book is mostly about, there's a, there's a lot, it's, it's mostly about TV and Books. There's some about film in there too, but I think it's very book centric. I'd be curious to see one from West that's film centric along the same lines. Um, yeah, good. Okay, so there's that on the news dump side. Anything else before we do our? I want to. We got another. The other big story. Let's wait till after we do our next little ad. Um, let's do our obituary real quick. Um, okay. Fred Bass, uh, the owner of the iconic, legendary, sprawling. Uh, actually sprawling. bookstore actually <laughs> sprawling died um let's see on the third on january 3rd so just a couple days ago uh in new york city um interesting figure uh th this there's almost too much to sum up here we'll link to the publishers weekly i guess as an obituary retrospective i don't know at what point it becomes a profile right from an obituary mm. to a to a profile um but he's the one that really um he he took it from his father who founded it and you know borrowed 300 bucks and built it into the the behemoth that it is today and it sounds like i've read a few pieces on bass this week he was a used book junkie it sounds mm -hmm. like and if you've ever been to the strand it makes sense that it's because they actually have more used books than make sense to me. They have always sort of felt that way. That's it's like overflowing onto the street, onto like dollar racks. Like it's like, oh my god, there's so much. Especially when you go into some place that has a similar idea, like Powell's here in Portland, which has a lot of used books, but it's very like rationally. I don't know, stocked somehow, but there's a certain exuberance in strand stocking of used books. I don't know what you, if you agree with me about that, Jen, we're just like, it's, there was so much you could tell it was more than just sort of 
I don't know, expedient from a business point of view to have that many used books all over the place <laughs> at all times. Um, a, a fascinating store, one that has survived ups and downs uh, in the book world. It, it stands as the last remaining bookstore and once was Booksellers Row along there on Broadway down in the, the high, or excuse me, the low teens um, in Manhattan. Um, anyway, so there's Fred Bass. Do you have anything else to say about that? Well, just that you're talking about, you know, a book junkie. There's this mm-hmm. word that we don't really use anymore um, for a lot of reasons. But but Fred was a bookman. Like, there's mm-hmm. this word bookman that just means, like, the guys who would go to estate sales and talk to each other and go anywhere and any place, you know, invite you into the store or whatever, and they're going to dig through a million boxes of books to find the right. ones that they're excited about. Um, and this is, like... This used to be a real profession where you could actually make money out of it, and mm-hmm. not so much anymore. Um, but but yeah, Fred was a bookman for sure, like an iconic bookman. Yeah, I guess it's one of those deals where if you had enough information in your head, right? And now now one thing about used books now, especially the internet, is largely to blame to credit depends on how you look at it. Information about used books is so much more diffuse and available that, you know, having concentrated book knowledge in an individual person that could sort, you know, kind of be the Ollivander of books, right? Mm. Like dig through all their stuff and say, I remember this book and I had this thing in the back of the thing. Um, kind of like the, the I can't remember the, the name of the, the, the main character in um, Parnassus on Wheels. Kind of one of those kinds of people. Oh, yeah. I know that book and I had it somewhere and it's around here and mm-hmm. let me go find it for you. And they do do that, not out of um, financial uh, efficiency, but of passion for books and selling books and knowing about books and um, interesting to see. Um, so anyway, but the strand moves on. Strand mm-hmm. moves on. Um, yeah, and his, to, his daughter Nancy's been um, the co-manager yeah. of the store for a long time. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I doubt that very much will change except for that, you know, time was you could wander in and Fred would be sitting in the front. Like mm-hmm. you could talk to him, you know, he was just there. Um, so I think. I, I think I actually sold some books to Fred one time. You probably uh, did. I, yeah. Uh, when we, um, when Michelle and I moved from our, our little apartment to our bigger apartment, but we had two kids in tow instead of just us in books, um, I sold, I think, 700 books or something to The mm-hmm. Strand one day. You know, like, what am I going to do with my eighth favorite novel from 2005? <laughs> it's kind of how I, you know, like, you know, that kind of stuff. I do. Uh, I liked, but I'm not going to read again, nor am I going to lend it out. So what do you do? And he was there. And it was interesting that when you said Bookman, like, there's a particular cliche where they're interested but also kind of not they're not not friendly mm-hmm. but they weren't exactly friendly either mm-hmm. so i can't really describe it um i remember at the time thinking that is a unique countenance right. <laughs> i mean that to deal with that many people selling books and haggling and whatever and i didn't haggle it's not in my nature to like give me three extra dollars for that box whatever um he was efficient, he was knowledgeable, and he was interested, but also, I don't it's, know. It's interested, uh, but not warm. Is, yeah, interested, but not warm. Yeah. yeah, And also not cold, weirdly, no, not no. dismissive, but like, I know more about this than you. We both know that. Let's not pretend otherwise. I think it's kind of what was right. going, going no on. Nonsense. No, no nonsense. No nonsense. Yeah, that's right. No nonsense is what, is what we mean there. I, it got me thinking about pals here, because I, I don't know that... Uh, I lived in New York for much longer, um, and I went to Strand much more than I went to Powell's A because it was around and I didn't wasn't encumbered by offspring as I am now. Um, 
But Powell's was founded in the seventies. I felt like it was like an it was way older than this too. Because like I guess my mental model for big old bookstores is that they're old, mm-hmm. right? It's like mm-hmm. it, it's founded in the thirties or twenties or something like that, and it sticks around for a long time. It got me thinking: Could you do one? Could you do a store like this today? Like I know there's Amazon, there's ABE Books, and there's all the other stuff, but it feels like maybe you could still do one of these if you, if done right. Like there's still it's you. Know, I don't think you have to be a um, a kind of a legacy icon because there is something to getting new books and then also perusing the shelves, finding something that you hadn't done before that I think makes it a unique experience that can't, it's not an indie book. I mean, Strand, there's a reason Powell's and Strand don't really, they are, I guess, technically indies, but they're also totally not at the same time. It's like a different book buying book, perusing experience, even in a used bookstore, because a used bookstore, you go in for a different reason, even then you go into Strand Palace, but this hybrid of new and used, sprawling kind of thing is interesting. Well, the um, sprawling is the hard part. I mean, there are a bunch of smart indies out there doing the new and used model because yeah, it, it helps the bottom line, like Changing mm-hmm. Hands in Tempe, Arizona, which is one of those stores I've worked at. Um, I, I actually trained on the used book desk for a bit, and, and it was really interesting, and they had a really solid mix of, uh, and still do have a solid mix of new and used and remaindered, which are the like five dollar hardcovers, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's just the it's just literally the real estate. The is real harder estate, to do. Yeah. Like you can't you can't do eighteen miles tomorrow. Like you Mm-mm. you got to build it, you know, and mm-hmm. and and pick your neighborhood and hope you get you know buy the building instead of leave. Like there's so many. Ways well, you know in this better than I. Complicated, but, um, yeah. Noel Santos, when I interviewed her for. Um, the annotated episode about how book, independent bookstores survived, how they mm-hmm. didn't go extinct. She said, you know, s- part of it is realizing you are in the book business, but you're also kind of in the real estate business um, when you're opening any retail business. But like, where are you? How much are you paying per square mm-hmm. foot? Like, what does all that go into it? And I'd love to know, you know, I don't think I know. Like, what is the Strands deal? Do they own that building? Like, that's a huge difference, right? Like, Court Street Books and Carroll Gardens, um, which is a rapidly gentrifying neighborhood when I lived there, and it's crazy expensive now. Like, part of the reason they could stay in business is they own the building, which is nice when you're your own landlord, right, as, right. as rents go up. And that's been a story for Manhattan bookstores especially, is, like, they were doing pretty good sales, but the rents that were being asked in the rapidly more and more expensive New York became out of scale with what they could afford. So... You know, some of it is maybe they own that building. Maybe they have one of those Chumley's 99-year leases, right, right that they signed right. in 1980 or something like that. Um, also, I think it's also worth pointing out, too, that Bass did some things that people didn't and don't like still. Oh, yeah. And one of them, famously, is selling review copies and galleys. Like, if you bring in a book to The Strand, it's kind of like a book laundering service to some degree. Like, you know, they'll, they don't care where it came from, for right or wrong. Or at least it was when I sold books there. Um, I never sold galleys there, but I shopped there, and you could definitely tell what a galley was. You'd see something that you know didn't. You, you knew it, it shouldn't be there, or it shouldn't be there in the the gentlewoman's agreement we have about galleys and review copies, right, Jen? Which is mm. don't sell them, and that's mm-hmm. how it goes. But they didn't care, or they or they care. They didn't care enough to not sell them, and so it became a place where you could go get. Um, a $5 copy of something that wasn't out yet mm-hmm. uh, in softcover. Um, you probably know this better than I do. My memory of it, and it's not mentioned here at all, which I'm not sure is, I don't know, maybe you don't do this in an obituary piece. 
they've had trouble with their labor over yep. time. I was just thinking they famously the strand workers at one point were trying to unionize mm-hmm. and one of their employees wrote a graphic novel, like a comic about it, and they sold the comic like they stocked it. <laughs> but but they were not <laughs> super excited about having workers no. who wanted to unionize. Like it's yeah. they've made some yeah, it's I mean the strand and fred are not without no. their dark bits for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it kind of feeds into the no nonsense thing a little bit, right? Like it's not warm, right? To yeah. Not, to like well, and, yeah. I don't know if you were there any recently, but they actually mm. have less used books now. It's a lot more new in remainders. Um, and, I haven't been there in a while. Not, not in a serious browsing session. No. Yeah. And it's a ton of gifts. You know, their tote bags are like legendary. Oh my point. God. There's sidelines in the front right. now. Side that's something crazy. that's totally changed. Because that's where the money is. I mean, your 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 markup on those is way better than your markup mm. on books. Um, so, you know, th- that too. Like, and when you walk in there, it's huge. Like you're not, unless you're in there all the time, you're not going to strike up, you know, no. a lengthy conversation with anybody who works there. Like it's just not likely to happen. Um, which is fine. You know, that's not mm-hmm. the kind of store it is. Um, but yeah, it's it's certainly not like, you know, your neighborhood indie that you walk in and you know the person behind the counter and you're going to chat mm-hmm. about your day and maybe they're going to have a cup of Like, that's not, that's not, you know, you go there to dig into those piles of books yep. and, or maybe because it's a landmark, you know, you go to the, the you know, we, we had all those parties in the, yeah. in the, the reading room. Um, like they were the always so books. good to us. Yeah. Oh yeah. Us. No, yeah. they're great. Yeah. I mean, they, there's a reason we did two years mm-hmm. worth of Book Riot Live parties in the Rare Books room. Like it's, it really is a stunning accomplishment mm-hmm. that the store is still there and is still prospering the way that it is. So, yeah, it does. Um, the last time we were there, I guess it was probably for one of those Book Riot Live um, sessions. Michelle and I spent a few minutes there before wandering around downstairs. And I, I don't know if she said it to me or I said it to her, but it stuck in my mind that. A large part of the Strand's business now is being in the business of being the Strand mm-hmm. at the front of the store, especially, which is cool. Like, that's once you've crossed that meridian, that can very much help you because then it's not about price comparison with Barnes and Noble or something like that. Like, this is a thing of its own. I'm sure I've told this story before. I'm, uh, I'm going to tell it again, real quick, just because whenever I'm, this is a, as a good occasion as any. My first day in New York when I moved there in August of 2000, going starting grad school or a few weeks before school actually started, got off the train. I got off the train, got off the plane, got in a cab. I was staying at a hostel for a few days before my, my housing opened up. And the first thing I did after locking up my, my uh, American Express traveler's check and my fanny pack in the locker there at the hostel was get on the subway and go down to the Strand. Because, um, I, I, you know, I was a 22-year-old book nerd from Kansas, and even I knew at that point to go. And of course, I got lost on the subway first, and I thought the one – uh, went all the way down to Union Square. It doesn't have to switch over. So I took the one all the way down to 14th. I get off at Christopher Street. I think finally I got off, got out of there. And there's like a, it's like a huge parade. There's people, there's, you know, dudes kissing each other with their shirts off. I'm like, boy, New York is different. Like this is, <laughs> New York, is, it, it was a pride parade. Um, I just thought it was an average day <laughs> in New York, but it was pride. And I walked across to, to go to the Strand. It's, it stays open till like 11 or it did. And so I was there from like, five to 11 that day, um, walking around the village and then going in and out of the strand, uh, a very good memory of my first day in New York. So, mm. uh, fairly well, Fred, long mm-hmm. live the strand. 
the king is dead, long live the strand, I guess. That's, right. That's what we can say about that. Um, let's do another sponsor. Can we, we, speaking of um, being in the, the, your, your own business business, I guess that's a, <laughs> that's a, good, that's a good, good segue. So we're going to talk about insiders for a minute, Book Riot Insiders, which, Jen, you captain our particular ship for Indeed. this particular. Indeed. So what, what, what do people get? What are we? What are we trying to get people to sign up for? Well, yes. Yeah, so to sign up for insiders. If one of your 2018 resolutions was to live your best bookish life, I now, feel look at that. that That's a pro. <laughs> you, yeah, there you go. Book Riot Insiders, we can help you with that. Um, what it is? It is a exclusive content and perks uh, subscription. And by signing up at one of a couple monthly levels, there are actually three. The top level is closed out as it often is. Um, it's very popular. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, but yeah, you can pick the level of perks that you want. And um, you get things like behind-the-scenes emails from staff. We do giveaways. There's a special store discount. There's now two exclusive podcasts. Mm-hmm. And there's the very fancy new release index, which is curated by Liberty from all the books and the new books newsletter. And she keeps an eye on what is coming out in the coming months. And we have built this very fancy interactive index where you can look at the covers, you can read the descriptions, you can add them to your watch list, you can see what's trending. It's really fun to play with um and so yeah so there's there's three levels um the epic level is closed right now but if you sign up at the novel level you get the first crack at the epic spots when they open up which happens monthly so if you go to bookriot.com slash insiders you can find out more and uh yeah the novel level is like the sweet spot it has Mm -hmm. all the perks except for the insiders forum on slack that's that's the epic only but if you sign up for the novel level you get basically all of the goodies except for that one um, I think since the last time we talked about the podcast, we did add the, so there's a Read Harder Challenge podcast. So yes. those of you who don't know what the Read Harder Challenge is, is that um, longtime Book Riot writer Rachel Manuel created, I guess, three years ago for us uh, a challenge. It's called Read Harder, and basically the message is in the title of reading outside your comfort zone. So there's a bunch of tasks, like, you know, as making part of your new year reading, your your whole year reading, to read something maybe you wouldn't. Um, but you want to read outside of what you're used to. And this is a podcast that um, Sharifa and Josh Corman do where they give recommendations for each of the prompts, and that's exclusive to, to Book Riot Insider subscribers. Also, the new one is, uh, what are we calling it now? I'm Book trying Riot to look, Remix. Remix, right, um, where we get so the hosts of our regular shows and put them in different combos. So you and Lib talked about, Buffy, Buffy, right? Yes. Yeah, that was a recent episode. Um, Amanda and I spent an hour talking about the first line of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, I don't know what's what's coming. Do you know what the next ones are? Who's well, that's a secret, but I will tell you oh, that another secret. recent okay. one, Rebecca and Rincey talked, oh, yeah, about, talked about cooking. Food. For yeah. like, a, and it's a real. That episode made me so hungry, and I got some good. Rep, uh, I haven't listened. I need to, recipes I have, I have out that of on it. my. I have yeah. that to listen to. I haven't done that one yet. So, mm-hmm. so you get some of the hosts you're used to talking on other shows in different contexts and blowing off steam, cutting loose, other metaphor of you know doing something different here at the in the new release index. You can go get a preview as well. Um, mm-hmm. If you go to bookwrite.com/insiders, go check it out. Uh, it's a lot of fun. That's been a good project for us. Oh, we're coming. What are we uh, in April? It'll be a year we've been doing. This, yeah, so. yeah. Uh, I thought this story would be our headline story two days ago. Um, there's a part. Of, there's a version of this story that feels like an Onion article. To <laughs> somehow, do you see where I'm going with this? Like, I, accurate. I don't know. 
Um, so I guess one of the big books of 2016, if not the big nonfiction book of 2016, was When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. Is that how I say that? Um, and then uh, the, another one, so it's about him. He was a doctor who was dying of cancer. And then in the same year, um, Nina Riggs published The Bright Hour, which is also her dying of cancer. And they both have spouses. Um, and they also got mentioned a lot together, uh, naturally, because um, they were younger professional people who wrote books about dying. Um, and they both had spouses. And in a really twisted, like, dark timeline, Rich Cur- Richard Curtis movie kind of way, uh, the, their, their widow and widower have now fallen in love. Uh, Lucy Kalanithi and John Duberstein, which, was Nina, which is Nina Riggs' widower, uh, they're, they're a thing. They're an item. And I guess this is lovely. There's something weird about this to me, but maybe it's just... You sound so skeptical. I Like, uh, everybody else, a lot of the reactions I saw were like, you're not crying. Like, I'm not crying. You're crying. Like, I need... Where? I have something in my eye. Like... Oh, no, I'm the dark cloud. Your cold, dead heart. (laughs) Well, look, I'm just talking about Fred Bass. I learned from the best. Um... I don't know. There's just something a little too, too about it. Like, I'm glad, whatever. You lose your spouse. I want everyone to be happy and move on. But there was, there's a certain, almost, it's almost too neat, right? Like, there's a part of me that's too neat. And, but it is a great story. And it also makes sense because they met through, um, I think it's a kind of, uh, some sort of grief counseling or no, something. no. So Nina um, and Lucy were in touch. So so when Breath Becomes Air oh, came right. out that's first, what it was. Yes. right? And 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 Nina reached out to Lucy um, mm-hmm. while she was writing her memoir. And so and then as you know, she, like it says in the final days of her life, you know, she was worried about her husband, and she was like, "You should reach out to this woman." Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I've been talking to her; she's great. She'll she'll know what to tell you about what's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. So they were kind of set up by John's like dying wife. Uh, great. I mean, <laughs> I'm I don't know. There's I'm, I'm uncomfortable, Jen. I'm uh, a little yeah, uncomfortable. I hear, I'm hearing that from you. I'm yeah, I don't know. Is that unfair? I don't want to be. I don't want to be a downer. Just it's. I guess it's also so raw. Like, there's that's parts of it makes me uncomfortable too. Like, I can't imagine having to go through this um, at all. You know what stuck in my mind that I thought I, I is they they gossiped about. The, apparently, there's a private Facebook group called Hot Young Widows Club. Yeah. Um, which that some reason that stuck in my mind is that's where they met. That's incorrect though. Um, also, someone should write a very bad. Netflix series called Hot Young Women's <laughs> Club because I would watch that. I um, mean, Lucy says, you know, in this interview um, at the Washington Post, you know, I'm surprised by how ridiculous it is and how natural it is at the same time. And that kind mm-hmm. of sums up my feelings yeah. about it. Like, right. it is ridiculous, but also it almost seems inevitable. I mean, when you have two 
death memoirs come out that close together and they're written by people who have spouses that are the same age. Yes. And you're going to get publisher interview requests together. You're going to, you're going to tour together. Mm-hmm. You're going to get asked to do a lot of things together. Of course, you're going to be in close proximity. And if there's any sort of resonance, yeah. it does seem kind of inevitable. Um, mm-hmm. And like, you know, they're not engaged. Like they, they're, they've, you know, hung out, they spent holidays together and like their kids have met their other kids. You know, it's like there, it seems to me that, that if if you're gonna do this mindfully, like they are, I, I mean, it, it, from what I know of the situation, it looks you know pretty thoughtful to me. Um, which makes which to me tips it over, you know, from the two two to the all. Oh, like I'm happy for them. Like that's a terrible position to be in, and to have somebody who knows exactly what you've gone mm-hmm. through, like down to you know the the hospital visits and you know like they know you know you you know each other in a way that not many other people can know you um so so yeah so it it, you know that kind of pushes it into like the five alarm snot bomb you know territory for me (laughs) (laughs) i think that i think that that's fair and again live your life do whatever you want to do there's just a part of me and i i guess what i'm feeling is that it feels so loaded in, in an emotional way like they both have this huge thing they're coming off with relationships are hard enough like it just feels like a lot to walk into a new relationship with on the other hand you're gonna have to walk into that anyway why not with someone who knows what you're talking about um and what you're feeling someone on the book riot contributor slack said has they have they was this article like going to pitch a movie and i'm like oh you can i mean yeah you can see it. i guess i didn't really understand the the why have a profile done about this? But why not? Why not? Why not? You know, live your life. Try to get, come out of this and have some fun and enjoy each other's company. Um, but you're right. You know, like, if we were doing a Book Riot Live panel and we're like, hey, let's do something about grief. Like, could we get both of these people? Right. Like, yeah, put them on right. the same panel. And, like, they're right there. So yeah. they're definitely in each other's orbit. Um, did you read either of those books? I did not. I Death memoirs are hard for me. It's not <sighs> a thing that I'm super no, I mean, either. ready I made for. The, I made the good mistake, Michelle and I, last night of watching the Joan Didion documentary on Netflix. Ooh. Which, talk about five alarm snot bombs. Yeah. But, like, I've been circling around the year of magical thinking and blue nights for, feels like, 10 years now. I don't even know when those books came out. I think it was, like, 2005 or something that um, the year of magical thinking came out. But I was like, why do I do this to myself? Like, I, uh, yeah. Anyway, because I-, I heard when Breath Becomes Air especially was awesome. But I just, I'm not, I don't know why I want to do that. Well, for me, you know, the grief memoir is different from the death memoir, I will say. Like, I have read um, Year of Magical Thinking and The Bluest Hour, um, Mm. Blue Hour, which, whichever. (laughs) Blue Nights. Blue Blue Nights. Nights. Sorry. The (laughs) the other Joan Didion. Um, (laughs) And a couple others, too, that escaped my Mm. memory because I wasn't thinking about it when we were prepping for the show. But yeah, the grief memoir is useful to me because that is a position that I have been in, right? You lose a loved Mm. one. Like, how do you process this? It's helpful to see how somebody else processed it, even though it is also super heartbreaking. H is for Hawk is another good example of that. Um, I guess I didn't didn't know that going into H is for Hawk. I I wonder if I would have read it knowing... I guess it's not also, it's not the central, I don't know, That was a, that's a book that's about that, but also not about that at the same right. time. Anyway, it's kind of veiled. Anyway, yeah. go ahead, sorry. Well, anyway. yeah, but, and so, you know, but like I haven't read Oliver Sacks' last book and I don't Mm-mm. know if or when I will, you know, and and mm. like facing your own death and writing about it is super valuable and, and I think um, admirable. I just, I'm not 
mm-hmm. like emotionally prepared at this moment in time to mm-hmm. read those books. So, yeah. Yeah, the other piece, I mean, it, it hits close to home. I mean, these people are 39, 40, 41, um, which I'm 39 right now, looking at 40 uh, real hard here in the next couple of months. Yeah. Um, so that's, it, it just feels very, they've got kids very similar to ages of my kids. Like, there's just no way. There's, why would I, why would I do this to myself at this point? Like, I guess the point would be it's beautiful and it gives you appreciation for blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure that's valid. But you know what? I just can't do it right now. Um, Anyway, you read the. Full, it's worth the full profile. Mm-hmm. I, perhaps I'm being unfair to it. Tell me if I'm being unfair. <laughs> I think your discomfort is real. I think probably. Oh well, a lot my of discomfort is certainly real. That. Now, whether or not it's valid is a separate question. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, anyway, best of luck to them. I, I, in all seriousness, uh, you want. You I mean you want this? Like that is them and not some other person. I don't know. Uh, what's the other? Oh, I did read option B, which is a grief. Mm, right. And more. It's more than a memoir, too, somehow. Um, anyway. All right. Now, now we're in mop-up territory. Where do you want to go next? Do we have time for more than one? I'm trying to think of what's the most Yeah, I, I think we got to... Let's do one more. I, I, this just, I just, there's this kind of a nothing burger, but it cracks yes, me up. Yes, I'm going, let's eat the nothing burger. Yeah, I'm hungry for a nothing, nothing burger. burger. <laughs> yeah. This, this boing boing piece about the app that replaces Twitter with Kindle. It's awesome. I just, this is I so mean, genius. I object because Amazon is, you know, yeah. the arch nemesis of independent booksellers everywhere and I'm still not over it, but... <laughs> Like it's just all this app does is when you open Twitter, it opens your Kindle app instead. Like it, it really is kind of genius. It is. It's so, it's so genius. It's so dumb, but so smart at the yeah, same it's, time. Yeah, um, it's um, it's called uh, placeholder, placeholder Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. It does nothing but reroute you to the Kindle app, and I don't know that it doesn't even doesn't even go to like your last read where you were. I don't even know if it does that. Um, well, if it just opens the app, it's whatever is up in the app, I guess. Right, yeah. Also, right. the example of them opening it and it goes yes. into thinking fast and slow, which is kind I of saw amazing. That. <laughs> it's like Jeff Bait in I the know, extreme. It really is Jeff Bait. <laughs> it's true. Um, I, and, you know, I wonder, I didn't look at it. I, I don't know if I'm going to download this. I'm spending less and le- less time on Twitter anyway. Um, I'd like to see it, but it's a GitHub repository, so good luck if you're yeah. not a, a super nerd to try to get it installed. But the idea is kind of uh, amazing. And I retweeted someone before I saw this saying, here's an app idea, uh, an app that reroutes you from Twitter to your, or from Facebook or something to your Kindle, your Kindle book. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to call it reroute. And I think it, that tweet was recirculating because this actually got made. Um, feature request for the anonymous um, uh, hero who <laughs> who's writing this. If you could do it so that it could open up my Libby app instead Ooh, of yes. Kindle. Now we're in business. Seconding, uh, seconding. Yeah. Are you using Libby? I don't know if we talked about every this. day, every day, every day, literally every day. But you don't do audiobooks because you no. don't, you don't have a commute. You don't like audiobooks. You no. think they're um, not for you. Well, I just can't. I I lose. I'm not good yeah. at processing solely audio input. I mm-hmm. get distracted by visual input much. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it's just visual input is my primary, and 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 if anything else is happening in the room, I will lose track of audio. Um, so maybe like hooded like one of uh, Helen McDonald's uh, <laughs> gosh hawks. You got to get a wear one of those black hoods while, with but your headphones on. But then you can't on. do, do totally anything normal. else. Like why wouldn't I just read a book instead? <laughs> 
So, well, like the, while you're driving, put the head yeah, hood over right, while you're driving. Go. That's safe. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Because the point of audiobooks is that you can do things yes. while you are listening, abs- mm-hmm. theoretically, while you're absorbing information. It's just that if I'm doing something else, I'm not going to absorb any of the information. Um, yeah. But no, I, I read um, Forget Booked in particular. All of my yeah. research reading happens in Libby because otherwise I would be, I would, I would <sighs> be in the negative in my bank account all the time. Um, yes. Your so. salary is actually negative $6,000. Because <laughs> of all the books you have to read. You owe us money. Uh, right, right. So how many holds do you get at a time? Do you know? Well, I actually don't know. I've had like six or seven for sure. Um, but I also, because you can do this in Lebby, I am a member of three different libraries. So oh, I get books from different libraries at the same time. Wait a minute. Is that like selling the journalist the book no, but not charging no, it later? I, this I is have my salt? library card. You can set it up in Libby. I didn't roll this myself. It's part of the app. You can add as many library cards as you have. So if you have, if you're a member of more than one system, you can put them in. Wait a minute. So Brooklyn, New York, and Philadelphia. Um, I I also could have four because I had a New Jersey library card, but oh, I okay. I stopped myself. I restrained myself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Mm. Yep. And it's not like geofenced or something. No, nah, it does I guess not I don't appear even to know be. How you would do no, that. like, and and the only annoying thing is that it'll only search in one library at a time. So if you were looking for a book, you can't like see if it's on oh, any I see. of the not universal, not search in the app. Things. However, right. there's a Chrome extension yes. that I use. So I go to Goodreads, and it knows mm-hmm. which libraries I have access to because I told it. Yep. And then I will just hit the button for whichever library I have access to that has it. Ta-da. Wow. Your reading workflow is advanced. It's intense. It's really it's intense. intense. Wait, do you have to log out and back no, into no. Libby? To the, what? No, you just it go to the sidebar and you switch which, which card you're using. Yeah, it's you really... You know what? I got to research the best um, public library collection in America and buy a plane ticket. Yes. Go for a day. Well, you have to have a, you have to have a thing. Well, you got to have like a water bill or something. Some libraries will allow you for a small fee to become a member even if you're out of state. Like the New York Public Library has that. Um, And I'm Mm. sure a lot of other very, if they're advanced enough to have like an amazing ebook collection, they probably will let you join for a fee. So. Hold on, I gotta I gotta send Omnifocus. <laughs> real quick. I'm glad I could share wow. that. You know, I think I heard you mention that before, but it didn't quite strike me as the game changer that it now is occurring to me. That it, my problem is that the Multnomah County Library, which is Portland's, is they have all the ebooks I want. The hold times mm-hmm. for audiobooks, especially, can be for me interminable. And I'm trying to spend less on audiobooks as Libby, and I'm trying to spend more on print books for reasons I can go into some other time. Um, but the key to that working in a way that satisfies my audiobook intake requirements yeah. <laughs> is I need Libby to have more of a, a dependable uh, uh, book flow right. into my ears from right. there. So, all right, that's our show. Thanks so much to Alcrate for sponsoring the show this week. You can get a monthly subscription service where you get a young adult book and goodies to go with it, or their new service, Alcrate Jr., which is for 8 to 12-year-old readers or those who are 8 to 12-year-olds at heart. No older. You can't be two and a half, <laughs> 12 and a half. They won't let you sign up for it. Um, no, they, they probably will take your money for that too. Thanks to them. Go check out uh, Book Riot Insiders as well, bookriot.com slash insiders to go see what your choices are there. Go sign up and listen to us talk about other things. Uh, on other podcasts. And the new release index is interesting too because that's one of those things we built for ourselves that we wanted, 
right? Like mm-hmm. finding about what, keeping a place where there's interesting new books coming out going forward is a hard task, weirdly hard to do in this day and age because um, there are so many books out, but it's kind of in, you would, I don't know who would do this besides us. So we did it. Um, and Alex and Scott are, are designer and um, developer and Liberty and Rebecca and you all put it together and it works really great. I, I don't keep a list there, but on Tuesdays, I'll go check out what's new this week. Um, often it flip through that way. Jen, thanks for being on the show. This was fun. Thanks for having me. Always a good time. Bye, guys.